We are with our Lord in the second Sunday of Lent, hearing about his glorious transfiguration and the foretelling of his coming passion in Jerusalem. He is now making his way towards Jerusalem. He has spent much time preaching and teaching. One week previous to this, he was with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, and St. Peter received the grace to confess him as the Christ, and he foretold them the first time that he must suffer and die. And right away, Peter says, Surely no, not to you. And Christ says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle. And then they begin their way to Jerusalem and come to this mountain. Now I have had the great privilege of being to this very place. And to get to it, you must go through an immense valley. There's not much for many, many miles around. And then all of a sudden, this large hill or small mountain just sort of shoots up out of the ground. For a little bit of context, if you've been to Devil's Lake, one of the bluffs, the width of this mountain is maybe just a little bit smaller, just a little less wide than one of the Baraboo Bluffs, and probably two or two and a half times taller. It just shoots up out of the ground. It is an arduous way up. In fact, on the top of this hill today, the Israeli government has a special forces training base. Because of the difficulty of the scale, it helps to train these special forces soldiers. So you can imagine the apostles walk out into this no man's land, and then they see this thing, and you kind of wonder if Peter, James, and John were like, great, special time with Jesus, or if they were more like, uh, why don't you ask Thomas? I mean, that's a, I'm t you know. And that's the first icon in the spiritual life. Everybody wants a special sign from God until it happens. And it's like, whoa, this, right? So that's the first thing our Lord is encouraging us. There will be moments in our life when he calls us particularly, right? Thomas and Jude and Simon, in that moment, were not called to walk up that particular mountain. They would have to at other times in their life. Peter, James, and John were called. And again, it was no joyride up that hill. In fact, today, if just a regular person goes there, they don't let you climb the hill. You have to take a bus. And believe you me, that's harrowing enough. I can tell you that much. And so it would have taken some time. The colonel at the base said that a, like a top flight soldier, a good time for scaling that mountain is four and a half to five hours for a modern military soldier. So you can imagine just regular people in first century Palestinian garb in the middle of the summer. It was sacrifice. It was sweat and it was tiredness. Right? There were no quick trips on the way up to get a snack. No bathrooms. Just go on up. Stumble a few times. And then when they get to the top, the vision. And that's the first sign. If you persevere in hard times and suffering, there is the vision. I've experienced this in my own life. I mean, two of the greatest moments of God's revelation to me were when my family suffered a deep interior crisis and when I myself got extraordinarily ill near to death and was not pleasant. And again, the point is not to compare our stories. We each have different encounters and struggles. But you persevere through that, God reveals. And then the transfiguration and the vision of Christ as he is, the second son, the second person of the blessed Trinity, showing his full glory. 
and surrounded by the saints of the old law, Moses and Elijah. Here's where I'll turn to Archbishop Sheen's book, The Life of Christ, and take up his commentary at the vision of the transfigured Christ. Archbishop Sheen writes, The Old Testament was coming to meet the new. Moses, the publisher of the law, Elijah, the chief of the prophets, both of them were seen shining in the light of Christ himself, who, as the Son of God, gave the law and sent the prophets. The topic of conversation of Moses, Elijah, and Christ was not what Christ had taught, but his sacrificial death. It was his duty as mediator which fulfilled the law and the prophets and the eternal decrees. The work of Moses and Elijah was done, and they pointed to Christ to see the redemption accomplished. Thus did Jesus keep before himself the goal of being numbered with the transgressors as the prophet Isaiah had foretold. Even in this moment of glory, the cross is the theme of the conversation with the heavenly visitors. But it was death conquered, sin atoned, and the grave despoiled. The light of glory which enveloped the scene was the joy like, now let me die, which Jacob said on seeing his son Joseph again, or like the, Lord, now let your servant go in peace, which Simeon uttered when he saw the divine baby brought to the temple. The poet Eseshlis, in his great epic Agamemnon, describes a soldier returning to his native land after the Trojan War, and in his joy saying how grateful he was to be willing to die for his homeland. Shakespeare puts the same joyful words on the lips of Othello after Othello's perilous voyage when he says, If it were now to die, twere now to be most happy. For I fear my soul hath her content so absolute that no other comfort like to this succeeds in our unknown fate. But in the case of our Lord Jesus, St. Paul says it aright. Having joy set before him, he endured the cross. What the apostles noticed as particularly beautiful and glorified were his face and his garments, the face which would be splattered with blood flowing from a crown of thorns, and the garments which would be a robe of scorn with which sneering Herod would dress him and the rough soldiers would strip from him. The gossamer of light which now surrounded him would be exchanged for nakedness when he would be stripped on the hill of Golgotha. And so we are unafraid to walk that way. Yes, Peter, James, and John had to come down from the mountain and were bidden, tell not of the glory till the Son of Man is raised. There are consolations in this world. I will leave sacraments. I will give prayer. I will speak to the hearts of my people. But I bid them seek not glory but the cross. Climb the mountain. Put down the many voices of the world. Be still. God says, this is my Son. Listen to him. Drown out the noise. Read the Holy Bible. 
Be surrounded by the glory of the life of the saints. Know they walk with you. This church is so rightly constructed to have, and again, for those who have not noticed, our empty windows have now been completely filled in with our new stained glass. And so you have saints of old, Paul the Apostle, Saint Augustine, saints who suffered much, Patrick, who before he became a mighty bishop was enslaved on a galley ship, Agnes, who bled for Christ, Saint Teresa of Calcutta, who knew even the poorest were her brothers and sisters, John Paul II, who walked the face of the earth preaching the gospel, they surround and many more. So we're not afraid to walk up the mountain, to hear the voice of Christ. When suffering comes extraordinary, or just the ordinary thing of saying, the gospel demands me to do this thing I do not want to do. The law of God bids me to stay away from this thing which that awful desire creeps into my heart. And so I shall. And I thank you, Jesus, for the glory when it comes. But I seek not that. I seek you and Holy Communion, and then to take up my cross, knowing that you, our Savior Jesus Christ, have brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel.